Welcome to this episode of SDI Encounters, a podcast from SDI, the home of spiritual companionship. I'm Matt Whitney. In this episode, we share a conversation between Reverend Seifu Anil Sengmalaris and Lucy Abbott Tucker. This conversation was a live-streamed event from SDI, which we are referring to as Digital Town Halls. And you can find the recordings of these videos by visiting the website sdicompanions.online or by going to YouTube and searching for SDI World. In their conversation over Zoom, Lucy shares some stories from her life that led her into her calling as a spiritual director and supervisor to spiritual directors, beginning with a mystical experience growing up in New York and how that experience has motivated Lucy's lifelong work. Reverend Seifu takes questions from people which make up the second parts of their conversation. So welcome, Lucy. Um, Lucy is one of our most esteemed and distinguished spiritual directors. Um, she has been, she's one of the co-founders of SDI and has seen and helped nurture and grow this organization and this community for, for 30 years and obviously has been involved in the world of spiritual direction for many more on top of that. So it's really a, a, an honor um, to introduce you to Lucy. And I'm going to start uh, for those, for the benefit of those of you who may not um, know her as well as as um, as uh, the rest of us. To Lucy, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, um, and particularly as it you know when you started with spiritual direction and what brought you to the field. Um, let's start there. Um, I guess first I just would like to thank um, Seifu and thank Spiritual Directors International for this opportunity. Thank you for all of you who are on this call. When I try to think about my history, particularly my history around spiritual direction, I have to go back to my childhood. I am a child of the Second World War. My dad um, served in the war. So I was born in New York. You might hear my New York accent. It comes through on microphone kinds of things. After my dad came home from the war, my parents started having children. I am the second of five. When they were able, we moved as a family um, from Manhattan, where I was born, out onto Long Island. And for any of you who are familiar with the East Coast of the United States, Long Island was famous for its potato farms. So there were very few trees left on Long Island. Um, they fell to the um, fertile soil for potato farms. However, not too far from our home, there was a small stretch of what we as children called the woods. Now for any of you who really know forest and woods. This is like about the size of four or five football fields, um, not what most people would call forest. But it was a place I loved, and I used to like to go and walk there. And one day, and I think I was probably about 13 or 14, 
Um, it was in the fall. I was walking in the woods. And I came to one of those places where the trees, the leaves had fallen, the sun was coming through, and it was shining on the path right in the spot where I was walking. And I had the feeling of being stopped in my tracks, standing in that sunlit spot for a few moments. And the experience was that I had roots growing out at the bottom of my feet roots that connected me to everyone and everything in the world, even the people in China, because in my little mind at that time, that was what was on the other side of our world. And I had rays growing out of the top of my head, and those rays connected me to everything that was above and beyond me, especially God. And even in that moment, I knew that that was important. And I often say I have spent the remainder of my life believing in that experience and seeking to understand it. And so I think to myself, it's no wonder that I got interested in spiritual direction. So when I graduated from high school, I did what probably many young Roman Catholic women did who wanted to um, understand God better, I joined a congregation of women religious, a wonderful group of people, Ursuline sisters. And I actually stayed in the community for about 20 years. So the beginning of my time in the community is called the novitiate. And I thought that they would teach me how to pray, which was my lifelong goal. And in my opinion, they didn't do a very good job of it. So as soon as I was out of the novitiate, the first thing I did was I signed up to make a directed retreat. So we're talking 1969, about 1969. I went to Faulkner, Maryland. Um, I had the good fortune of having Sister Rosemary Doherty as my very first director. And she said something to me on that retreat that I will never forget. She asked me at one point, Lucy, when are you going to stop giving yourself a grade on how well you have prayed? And that expression has stayed with me forever and I think has changed and shaped the way I have thought about spiritual direction. So from that point on, 1968 to the present, I've continued in spiritual direction. In 1983, I traveled to Chicago to study at the Institute for Spiritual Leadership. And I often say it was at that point in time that I fell in love with the ministry, not just being at the receiving end of spiritual direction, but having the wonderful, graced opportunity to share spiritual direction with other people. And I think that it was while I was there that I began to see and come to value supervision as a critical part of the ministry. For those of you who are not familiar, um, the Institute for Spiritual Leadership has since closed. 
But at the time I was there, it was a full-time um, academic year program. We met five days a week from nine in the morning till five in the afternoon from September to June. It was a very intensive training program. And they always talked about having two components, training for the ministry and looking at your own life story. And I had really gone to the Institute to look at my own life story because I knew it was time for me to leave my religious congregation. But as I said, I found myself falling in love with the ministry. A little aside, my spiritual director at the time suggested that I come to that program. And I was 34 at the time. And she said to me, I think you should prepare to do this work. And I said to her, oh, I don't think so. So she said, no, why not? I said, well, because I'm not wise yet. And she said, oh, really? When are you planning on being wise? And I said, when I turn 50. Seemed like a good, good number. I'm well past 50 and I'm still not sure I'm wise. Anyway, the learning um, environment there for spiritual direction was primarily quadrants. And over the course of that year, we, we participated in um, two quadrats every week. And each quadrat had what we called a guide, a traveler, an observer, and a supervisor. So as an observer, as well as the times I was a guide and traveler, um, we gave feedback to the, the group after the session, um, immediately after the session. And it was in that context as I did that and the supervisor did that, that I began to see how critically important supervision was. So I'll stop there for the time being and see where safe who wants to go next. <laughs> uh, thank you, thank you, Lucy. That that's um, that's that's great. I I um, so curious, so many different questions. Um, and, so spiritual direction, I mean, I think the, the hallmarks, uh, you've led a, you led a committee for us a couple of years ago talking about the essential distinguishing characteristic of spiritual directors and uh, without running through them all, um, you know, contemplative grounding, a lifelong learners, um, deep listeners, um, you know, many of the characteristics that I think most of our audience is familiar with. But tell us a little bit about why, how, how the notion of supervision came to you. Um, you know, by the time SDI started, and I'd love to hear a little bit also about how your encounters with Sister Marianne Schofield and how, how that came to be. But um, so that's this is two questions in one, which is a little bit about the origins of SDI. Um, and then most importantly, um, what came to you in terms of supervision? Why did you come to consider that to be so important? So I had the good fortune when I finished my year of study at the Institute to be invited to stay on staff. Um, I was um, pursuing a degree at Catholic Theological Union in Chicago, <clears throat> excuse me, and um, I was invited to work part-time as a supervisor, no less, okay, 
one year out of the program and now I'm a supervisor. And part of the reason that happened was I had spent the previous eight years as a school principal. I understood what it was to observe people and to give feedback. And so I stepped into that role and continued to value how critically important supervision was. Now, you know, I'm a white middle-class woman living in the United States, um, always in big cities, big urban areas. And one of the characteristics of the Institute was that we always wanted a percentage of our students to come from outside of the United States. So we had people from Europe and from Australia, but also from Africa, Asia. And in particular, um, as the students were coming to the end of their time, I would say to everyone, um, in addition to continuing in spiritual direction, it would really be helpful, especially as you're beginning your ministry, to have someone that you can talk to about supervision. And I will probably never forget the day when one of my um, African students said to me, Lucy, you just don't understand. We already have to go four or five hours just to see a spiritual director. And so I continued in my ignorance. I said, well, you could always use the phone. Oh, well, in many parts of our country, the phone operates from like 11 to maybe two or three in the afternoon. And I think it finally got through to me that some privileges that I took for granted were not available to people. And that was when I said to myself, if I really value this, I have to find a way to make it accessible to people who don't enjoy some of the privileges that I do. And that's when I began creating some of the tools that you find in the um, supervision workbook. And so that's a bit of an answer to that. Um, the second piece about um, meeting Sister Mary Ann. So 32 years ago, um, whatever year that was, um, was the very first time that a meeting was held um, for anyone who was doing spiritual direction that, um, well, it began um, at Mercy Center in Burlingame, Sister Marianne Schofield, Jack Mostyn, Jilden Edwards, they were sort of the energy behind it saying, let's get people who are doing this work together so that we can learn to, how to be supportive of one another. I at the time was working at the Institute, um, young and eager, and so they sent me off to the meeting. And that was actually the first time I met Sister Marianne. And for any of you who knew her, she was a silently charismatic individual. She didn't need to talk a lot. She didn't need to be the center of attention, but you understood just by being in her presence, the wisdom that she held. 
And so we met for two years and um, drew up the charter for Spiritual Directors International. And I had the good fortune to be asked to be on the first coordinating council. And so that was how I continued my relationship with Marianne. We, um, we spent one summer together in Lithuania, um, preparing men and women there for the Ministry of Spiritual Direction. And that's probably when I got to know Marianne the best. Um, and to love her the most. Thank you, thank you. That's that's uh, it's very very compelling and interesting. Um, um, you know, as we track the the last thirty years of STI's evolution. Um, so so you mentioned the book, and and I I flashed it quickly, and I'm going to flash it again. It's um, this is um, uh, Lucy's workbook on spiritual direction supervision. Um, we are taking pre-orders, and uh, so you can find information about that at the SDI website and our SDI store. Um, let's let's uh, sh shift to speaking a little bit about um, supervision, but but before that, I, I did want to ask you. Um, you know, you spoke beautifully about your experience um, uh, in on that field um, as a, a formative uh, experience for you and. Um, I wonder if there's other um, signs that were given you, um, signs or indications that that um, you've received that really propelled you into spiritual direction. And uh, we'll shift to speaking about supervision, so perhaps I can extend that question also to the particular importance of supervision. I think... I think one of the clearest signs was um, the spiritual director that I had at the time that I made the decision to come to Chicago, um, Mr. Elizabeth Olasek, who some of you may know from Genesis Spirituality Center in Westfield, Massachusetts. She was encouraging um, and maybe even sometimes a little pushy about um, you really should be thinking about this, Lucy. Listen to the kinds of conversations you have with people. Listen to the people who come and talk to you. And I know in my heart I had a strong draw towards this ministry. But it was in the process of my studies that I truly, maybe for the first time in my life, understood what call really meant. Um, understood this is what I am invited to do by God. Um, and then the supervision, I think because so much of my early work was in a training program and a lot of the work that I did there was supervision. Um, and just that realization of, I don't know anyone. I truly do not know anyone who comes into a spiritual direction training program who does not want to do this work superbly. And so their openness and receptiveness and willingness 
to engage in supervision is, was phenomenal. Phenomenal. It, it just, um, yeah, it just felt natural to me to engage people that way. So, you asked another question and I can't remember exactly. Yeah, I, I asked um, Lucy if you had, um, you know, any other kind of signs that that um, God or the universe was was giving you or has been giving you um, related to, and I've been asked to flash the book again because I guess it did not display. So here it is. I hope you can all see it now. It's it's um, it's Lucy's um, magnum opus. <laughs> so, so yes, yeah, signs and indicators. Well, I often say to spiritual directors, the biggest sign that you have a call to this is that people come to you. And um, perhaps the biggest sign um, that I have around supervision is that people come to me. I did have a dream last night. Um, not that this was on my mind or anything, but, you know. Um, I had a dream last night that I was in a room with about 20 or 25 people, and um, I was supposed to be leading them into silence. And um, it was not going very well, let's just say. There were probably five or six people in this room of about 20 who simply would not stop talking, you know? I had done everything I knew to do, you know, close your eyes, breathe, go to your center, you know? And they would be whispering, whispering, whispering. Um, so um, I think the first thing that happened to me in the dream, because I was watching myself, is um, I got angry. I don't think too visibly, but interiorly, I was feeling pretty angry. Um, and um, what my anger did was make me persistent. You know, like, we're going to get silent here somehow or other. So finally, I um, asked anyone who found it hard to be silent to just step outside with me for a few minutes. And when we stepped out of the room, I said to them, how about if you go down to the coffee break room, have some coffee and whatever donuts, and talk among yourselves about why it's so hard to be silent. And then after we've had our silent time in here, you can come back in and talk to us about that. And when I think about that dream, I think, well, now this probably says something to me about not only myself, and we'll skip the anger and persistent part if you don't mind, but um, about supervision. Can I really look at what's going on? Can I listen to what's happening? And can I find gracious ways to help everyone? Um, do what they need to do and learn from whatever they're doing. And that's probably 
over and over again um, what happens to me when I sit with people in supervision. I'm happy to say I'm not usually angry, um, but I am somewhat persistent. And anyone who has had me in supervision out there would probably be nodding their heads right now. Um, but the ultimate question for me is, what's going to help you be a better spiritual director? And what do we have to explore? Maybe with coffee and donuts, whatever those look like in your life. Um, but can we do that? Can we graciously do that? Lucy Abbott-Tucker is one of the founders of SDI, and she led the task force to write and establish SDI's official guidelines for ethical conduct for all spiritual directors, regardless of culture or tradition. She's worked in adult formation and the preparation of people for the Ministry of Spiritual Direction for 35 years. Lucy has led retreats and workshops throughout the United States, Europe, Australia, and Canada. Support for this podcast comes from SDI Press, announcing its newly published book, Spiritual Direction Supervision, Principles, Practices, and Storytelling by Lucy Abbott Tucker, an innovative full-color workbook designed to support the care and growth of your spiritual companionship practice, representing the best thinking of master teacher Lucy Abbott Tucker. We invite you to explore her principles, practices, and stories as you deepen your own approach to spiritual direction companionship, and the supervision process. Learn more at sdistore.org. What, what is it about, so you've just started to touch on it, and the, the, one of the principal roles of the spiritual director supervisor is to help the people coming to her or him become better spiritual directors. And so it sounds like in some sense, supervisors are like a mirror to the people that they companion. Um, can you talk a little more in a little more detail about um, other aspects of supervision? Why, you know, being a mirror, being held to account, we talk about accountability a lot in spiritual direction. Accountability, obviously, in the sense of respecting universal ethical norms and at the very least doing no harm um, accountable to the people that we companion on a one-on-one -on -one basis accountable to our communities accountable um, in this context very specifically to a supervisor so what is it um, speak a little more about this the, the supervisor and and their role in in um, in more specifics, what what is it? Why is it so important to have that check and balance, if you will? One of the things about the Ministry of Spiritual Direction, <clears throat> in many instances, you are by yourself in a room with one other person, with the door shut, 
And the only two people who really know what goes on there are the director and the directee. And the directee can walk out that door and tell anyone anything they want about what happened in there. And as the director, you don't have that option. However, every time you sit with another person, something in you is touched. Something in you is triggered. Something in you is nourished. Something is happening. Not just in your directee, but in you. And you need to have, we each need to have appropriate confidential spaces to talk about that. And that what your supervisor or your peer supervision group can do for you. I often say that I think supervision has three different components. I think it has a self-reflective component. I also think it has an educational component and I think it has a consultative component. And I think those three things work together. I don't try to separate those when I'm doing spiritual direction, uh, supervision, excuse me. Um, I think depending on where people are um, in terms of their own practice of the ministry, they will probably rely more heavily on one than another. Brand new people who are studying this ministry, when they come to supervision, the question they ask me is, what should I do? What should I say? What could I have done? And I think we need to, as supervisors, answer that question. I think we need to help them. I had someone early on in my life say, um, can we build a library of skills um, and ways of being with people. Well, we're not going to build them unless as supervisors, we are willing to be educators at times. We are willing to consult at times. And we help people in their self-reflection. The more experienced directors who come to me spend much more time on the self-reflection component. Although I have a suspicion that every time we begin with a new directee, we are back at that beginning stage ourselves. We're feeling out how to be a good spiritual director for that new person. Um, and so particularly when as supervisors, we're dealing with that self-reflection component, it can often sound and look a lot like a spiritual direction session. However, as the supervisor, we need to keep our eye on the fact that what we are trying to do here is help a person be a better spiritual director. And so at the end, we want to ask them, all right, what is this teaching you? about yourself as a spiritual director? What is this teaching you about the ministry of spiritual direction? That's very different than the question I ask at the end of a spiritual direction session. I want to know at the end of a spiritual direction session, what is this telling them about their relationship with the sacred? That's very different than asking them, 
What is this teaching you about yourself as a spiritual director? What is this teaching you about the ministry of spiritual direction? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm going to shift to to taking questions uh, from from our, our attendees and funneling as many of them as I can. Um, and I'll start with this one. Um, and the the quote is the question is I've always wondered how does one become a supervisor to spiritual directors and companions? Does it happen organically through training, experience? Um, how, and how does your book approach supervision? Does it teach the supervision process for people who want to be supervisors, or is it for directors looking to deepen their practice? There's like four questions in there. Um, yeah, there's a lot, a lot of questions there. Um, okay, so let's back up to, um, let's see, the early 1970s. And I can only speak of the United States because that's where I was. So nobody was trained to be a supervisor in 1970. Okay. You might have been practicing the Ministry of Spiritual Direction, and um, most frequently, you would have been someone who was working in a training program, and so you were doing supervision of the new people who were in the training program, and that's how it happened. Um, I'm not so good at um, history, but I'm going to say it's probably only in the last 20 years that people began saying um, supervision is really important for spiritual directors. And so how do I find a supervisor? And how does someone say, I'm ready to be a supervisor? And um, I liked the word organic. Some of it is organic. Um, you know, again, you know, when you back up in time, it was the people who were recognized as outstanding spiritual directors that people went to for supervision. Um, now there are training programs for um, supervisors. Um, in my book, one of the things I say is, I don't know how to talk about supervision without talking about spiritual direction. So, the somewhat answer to your question about is the book about spiritual director supervision. Um, it's a little bit about both. Um, and hopefully it helps people who are spiritual directors and are thinking of moving into the ministry of supervision um, prepare themselves for it by inviting them to reflect on things like um, not only your definition of spiritual direction, but your definition of supervision. And to notice um, what your definition of supervision is saying about what you intend to do when you're with people. Um, well, I hope that's somewhat of an answer. It, it is, it is. Um, and, you know, I, I think just a, a quick aside that, that obviously supervision training is uh, something that you've done for SDI in week-long sessions, eight hours uh, for a day for five days. It's a modality that you've taught uh, for months as part of a course and 
Um, it seems to me that it's probably a lifetime worth of training to keep refining your approach. So what we're doing today is is very introductory, kind of a taste of, of supervision. And you'll be doing a webinar series for SDI um, entitled exactly A Taste of Spiritual Direction Supervision um, starting in a couple of weeks. And um, more information about that will be posted um, on the in the chat um, section very soon. Um, there's a question here about storytelling. And you know that that is something that is... Um, that was really important for you as you wrote this book is to to, to weave the story uh, aspect of it, and um, so uh, the question is: so what is why are stories so important? Why is storytelling so important in the context of spiritual direction supervision? I think stories are the predominant way that people share their life, um, and. We each have ways of telling stories. Some people tell stories by um, sharing the cast of characters um, in, in their life story and making sure you understand how everyone fits together. Other people share their stories from their perspective, you know, and the cast of characters are very secondary. And some people circle around their stories and give you hints into it. Um, so not only is the telling of the story important, but listening to the way a person tells it helps us as spiritual directors and supervisors know how to step into a person's life. So I guess in a nutshell, I'd say, our stories reveal ourselves. How true, how true. Um, okay, I'm going to, to move more quickly because there's, there's quite a few questions. Um, this one is as follows. Do you have a view on the value of group supervision with peers versus one-to-one -one supervision with a trained, experienced supervisors? Uh, can you speak a little bit about the pros and cons of each approach? Um, I think that depending upon the size of your practice, one or the other is usually more suitable for you. If you have a large practice, I think a peer supervision process is oftentimes not sufficient. Um, and I think peer supervision groups have a wonderful value and are a great resource. Um, so. I think they're both valuable. I think the real question is what best suits your needs. Um, so one question that just came in, and I'm gonna to try to, to, to get to all of them. Um, would it be possible to hear, Lucy, your sense of the quote unquote state of supervision training right now? Um, as I was seeking resources, I found some um, Wild West individuals uh, offering training who clearly did not have qualifications and several week-long trainings in Ireland. Um, so how do you, I, 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 now I'm interpolating a little bit here, how um, can you ensure that the supervision that you're getting is 
um, adequate? That, that's a tough question for me to answer. Um, come to my workshop. <laughs> uh, I guess you just have to do some background checking, you know, um, find out who's offering it, um, find out what their credentials are, find out how long they've been doing spiritual direction and supervision themselves. Um, see if you can get the names of some people who have participated in their programs and talk to them. That's kind of what I would say. Yeah. Um, this person is asking, um, she's part of a, a supervision group of five women in Canada and um, she's still offering spiritual, spiritual direction uh, out of um, her spirituality center, but she does not have a supervision support group. Um, she still has uh, her own spiritual director, but she misses supervision, and I think the two are, are distinct. Um, does your new book have questions, reflections in it that would assist her in her own supervision? I hope so. <laughs> um. So we go for spiritual direction, we have a supervisor or a peer group, you know, and then people say to me, so do I get supervision on my supervision? And there's a limit to what we can do. There's a limit to what we can do physically, there's a limit to what we can do financially. Um, and I, what I choose to trust is that we know when we need more help. And when we're feeling like we need more help, then we should seek it in whatever format that takes. Yes. Um, a a follow-up on the storytelling question is, uh, Lucy, do you ever use folktales, sacred stories, and stories from your own life um, in a supervision session with a spiritual director? Yes. Um, anyone who's ever... Um, been on a retreat with me or been in one of my supervision workshops um, knows that one of the things that I love in particular are children's stories. I use um, children's storybooks a lot. Um, I say at the beginning of my supervision workshops, you will know more about me at the end of this workshop than you ever needed to or wanted to. Um, I don't know how to teach without sharing from my own life story. Um, so, yes, I think the question that we always need to ask, though, particularly when we're sharing from our own life stories, um, when I'm sitting in spiritual direction with someone and I choose to share something from my life, the question I ask is, is this at the service of the spiritual direction relationship? When I do it in supervision, I try to ask, is this at the service of the supervisory relationship? Um, not because I don't know what else to do, so I tell a story from my own life. That's, that's when it's time for me to be quiet. Very good. Um, and so I think the, the answer to this question is gonna be reasonably obvious. Uh, speaking of stories, will your up, upcoming digital workshop, your webinar series um, have storytelling as a component? Absolutely. I don't know how to talk without stories. <laughs> Very good. 
Um, so here's an interesting one. They're all interesting, uh, but this one is particularly interesting. What has been your experience with spiritual directors who come to supervision with only glowing reports of their spiritual direction practice? How do you draw them beneath the surface to where they might be more real about the challenges they face and where they still have room to grow? Well, first of all, I think it's marvelous to celebrate our successes, the things that we feel really good about. And one of the things that I like about supervision is I can be, I feel I can be much more direct in supervision than I am when I see with people in spiritual direction. So if someone came to me in spiritual direction and was sharing a glowing account of what happened, I would basically try to celebrate with them. When someone comes to me in supervision and shares the glowing account, I try to celebrate with them. And then I ask the question, can you talk a little bit about what didn't go so well? And one of the things that I believe about supervision is that what I ask of the people I supervise is that they listen to what I say, take in what fits, and let go what doesn't. And so if I say to someone, can you tell me something about the parts that didn't go so well? And they say, no, really, it was wonderful. I will probably, at least once or twice, nod and say, great. Okay? But they've heard me say, something here didn't go so well. No one gets 100%. I always say, the day you think you've done this perfectly, hang up your shingle and get help. Because okay? we don't do it perfectly. So, anyway. Yeah. Um, the next question here, are, are spiritual directors as different as those who practice spiritual direction? Um, and she adds, I think a big part of my personal journey as a spiritual director has been becoming comfortable with who I am as a spiritual director, rather than trying to be like other spiritual directors. Okay, so I'll tell a story. So when I was working at the Institute, um, which is in Chicago, and it was um, in the era of Michael Jordan, big basketball player that lots of people have heard about, and um, won lots of championships for the Chicago Bulls. And so the saying around Chicago was, be like Mike, okay? And everybody was supposed to be like Mike, whatever that really meant. So anyway, it was the beginning of our training program. We had a practice session. I was a spiritual director. One of the other staff people was the directee. We had an observer and a supervisor. We did our session. Then the students all gave us feedback. And as we were coming to the end, one of the students said, so the lesson here is be like Lucy. And every ounce of my body cringed. And I said, no, I don't want any of you to be like Lucy. I want you to find the spiritual director who lives in you and let that person come alive. And so I, that's who we are, that's who we need to be when we're with someone, the spiritual director who's in us, which is why we all define spiritual direction differently and many of us do it differently. Um, I could go on about that for a long time, but. 
No, no, I mean, I think it's very important to be true to ourselves. Uh, um, that that authenticity comes through. Um, um, this this question has come up a couple of times, and it's, um, can you please explain a little more about the three components of supervision again? You mentioned them earlier. Um, can, you, can you retell that and maybe uh, uh, contextualize it a little more? Well, I say the three components are one, education, two, consultation, and three, self-reflection. Um, so again, we need to continue to grow as spiritual directors. That's the education component. We need to reflect on sessions and become aware of what is it that I need to learn more about? Um, you know, do I need to learn more about um, how to work with people's images? Do I need to learn more about how to work with people's dreams? Um, do I need to um, learn more about some reflective listening, whatever it might be. Um, and as supervisors, I think we have to help people notice those gaps and what it is that they need to learn, and sometimes to provide some of that education. You know, um, We're never gonna provide all of it, but at least can we help steer a person in the direction. Consultation, that comes out of that question that I still ask, what should I have done? What could I have done? And personally, I think it's mean for supervisors not to answer that question. But we have to answer it as a way of prompting the person we're supervising to be generating more ways of being with another person. You know? Here's something that I might consider. What have you? What else have you considered? You know, what are some things we can brainstorm about? Okay. Um, and self-reflection—that's the what was going on in me question. You know, what was going on inside of me um, as I sat with this other person? And again, I think people who are brand new to the ministry. Um, when I asked them what was going on in you, the answer they say to me is, I was asking myself, what should I say and when should I say it? <laughs> you know, as we become more comfortable in what I should say and when I should say it, then I can begin to say, oh, this story echoes some of my own story, you know, and did that get in the way or did that help? Um, next one here. W would you recommend that spiritual direction training programs include supervision classes that at least introduce uh, that modality to students who might then go further themselves afterwards? So do you think spiritual director direction programs should have supervision as part of their curriculum? I think when you're in your supervision training program, you should definitely have a supervisor. Um, I don't, I would not recommend doing a search of direction training and a supervision training at the exact same time. Um, for one thing, I think that we need to get firmly rooted in 
spiritual direction, what I mean by that, how I do it before I can um, step into the modality of supervision. But I do think, I personally think every training program should have a practicum component that includes supervision. So, so would you say, just to follow up, this is my own follow up to that question, that you should get grounded as a spiritual director first in terms of your um, studies and, and your, your training and then move into supervision? Do you think yes. it's Okay, so um, here's another one. This is something you mentioned earlier. Um, the question is, the questioner asks, Lucy, can you say more about what you mean by, in quote, in a gracious way when you help the director be a better director? What do you mean by a gracious way? Well, for those of you who know the um, Enneagram, I'm an eight on the Enneagram. And I always say, um, if eights could have a motto in life, it would be, I know better than you, what's better for you? Okay. Um, that's not gracious. That's not the way I want to be in life. Um, but I know I have that tendency inside of me. And so I want to work consciously and conscientiously at really listening to and hearing what another person is saying. I want to assume that the wisdom they have is inside of them. And I want to not get into this with a person because this is never going to help, especially in supervision. Okay? Um, so when a person says to me, when I say something, well, the Institute for Spiritual Leadership was known as ISL. Those were our initials. And my husband tells me that I use ISL talk, um, which is kind of, um, would you consider, have you thought about, might it be true? Very tentative kind of language. Um, and I, I have an arsenal of those. Um, so it's using language that's not confrontative, although I think you can be confrontational without being confrontative. Um, that's what I mean by gracious. Yeah. Saying what's true for you without it needing to be true for the other person. Yes. I'm not asking what I say to people to be true for them in supervision. I'm asking them to hear what I have to say, take in what fits and let go what doesn't. Thank you. Um, here's, here's an unusual one. You know, what if when you go to see your supervisor and you're in some kind of quandary, whether it's ethical or, you know, practical consideration and Neither the, in this, the discussion with the supervisor doesn't yield the response, a, a practical response. What happens when um, you can't get satisfaction from your supervisor, I guess, is another way to say it. That's my wording, not, not hers. Um, uh, but but where, where 
you know, perhaps you need to go somewhere else or, or something. You have some thoughts on that? I guess I would hope for me that if I wasn't meeting the needs of someone, I they could be straightforward enough with me to say that and or I could be observant enough to notice that and hopefully could steer them in a direction of who they need or what they need at a particular time. Um, this reverend manages a um, referral site for Unitarian Universal, Universalist spiritual directors and they require that spiritual directors participate in supervision in order to be listed. And she wonders if you celebrate or have concerns about professional associations requiring standards um, and the evolution of standards for the spiritual uh, direction profession and ministry. I think what I would say is both as spiritual directors and as supervisors, um, part of the reason why we have the guidelines for ethical conduct is so that spiritual directors will know how to be accountable and responsible to the ministry, to themselves, um, and to the people they're seeing. And I would say the same thing about supervisors. Um, I think we have to be accountable for the work that we're doing. That's the simplest answer I can give. That's a, that's a big topic. Um, yes. <laughs> we'll pick it up some other time. Okay, final quick question. Um, is there a standard of ethics for supervisors as there is for spiritual directors? Well, that was going to be the next piece of what I said, and I didn't say. We don't have guidelines for ethical conduct for supervisors um, at the moment. And I hope you haven't planted the seed in Seifu's head because he'll ask me to start working on that. Um, I, I think the guidelines for ethical conduct for spiritual directors um, would contain a lot of the material that uh, supervisors we should be attentive to. Um, um, so I think that unfortunately takes us to right to the end of this hour. And um, I want to thank you, Lucy, for, for um, generously sharing your time with us. Um, I want to, again, highlight this beautiful book and very helpful book, workbook, um, which has, is really designed for you to kind of read yourself into it. Uh, Lucy, I know you've said that you don't see this as um, prescriptive as much as an invitation to reflect on supervision and, and uh, its importance. Uh, do you want to add anything about that really quickly? No, just that it's a work that has been in progress for probably four or five years. It's delightful to finally see it published. I hope it will be helpful to people. I'm sure it will. And, and then uh, just a final word um, that uh, Lucy will be hosting a four-part webinar series in June. Uh, the details are in the chat screen or you can come to the SDI website to get more information at which she will, um, you know, in, in more detail, introduce all of you who uh, want to participate um, into the modalities of spiritual direction supervision. 
So with that said, Lucy, thank you so much. We're very, very grateful to you. Um, I'm on, always honored to be speaking with you and to be able to share your, your wisdom um, with our community, our members. So uh, much gratitude and thank you. If you're enjoying this podcast and you want to help us share and spread the word, about the life-giving practice of spiritual companionship, you can help us out by subscribing to this podcast through your favorite app. You could give us a like or even write us a review. Thank you for listening. This is Matt Whitney with Spiritual Directors International. Thanks again for listening. Your time and your presence here are deeply appreciated. If you liked this show and would like us to continue making them, please do subscribe now while it's fresh on your mind. Also, we would love to hear from you, so please feel free to send in your comments and suggestions to the email address podcast at sdiworld.org. To learn more about spiritual companionship and ways that you can plug in and join our community, visit us at our website at www.sdiworld.org. Thank you.